Hey, what is up, nerds? Guess what I want to tell you about. Have you ever listened to the show and you thought to yourself, man, I want to wear what they're saying? Well, folks, we have that for you right now. That's right. All the content that you're hearing on the show and original content is located at the merch at nerdonomy.com. That's right. We have t-shirts. We have things that are made in the U.S. Support the Nerdonomy. Support the U.S. Just wear our stuff. Awesome. Sound check. Sound check. Sound check. Check one. Check two. All right. You got your notes ready to go? My notes? Yeah. It's Listen, your week. Uh, I'm, I, I, I messed up. I'm Brian. sorry. I don't have it. No, no, wait, 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 wait. We can do this. Let's do something um, this week in history. Uh, history. Um, did, did you know, actually, uh, on this week, um, April 13th in, in 1899, uh, the inventor of Scrabble was born? Really? Hmm. Yeah. What was his name? Alfred Mosier Butts. <laughs> no, really, what's his name? Alfred Mosier Butts. <laughs> okay, it's funny, but what what was his actual name? Alfred Mosier Butts. Alfred Mosier Butts. Mosier Butts. Mosier Butts. Yes. So, was he the inventor of the original phrase, your ass is grass and I'm a lawnmower, because I'm Alfred Mosier Butts? No. 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 Interesting to know. He was originally going to call Scrabble it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He had he invented another game too. What was that called? Alfred's other game. Not so good with titles, was he? No. Welcome to Nerds on History. I'm Brian Moriarty and I am Eric Brickmont. How are you, sir? You know, I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Spring has sprung. I yes, like it that. has. As is evident by my wheezing and uh, <laughs> coughing and sneezing and itchy eyes. Yeah, my allergies have actually only been... I had my first allergy attack this morning. And thankfully, it was just before I took my allergy medicine. And in a few minutes, I was fine. Yeah, I've yeah. I've been battling a cold all week and... Listeners, forgive me if my voice sounds a little hoarse, but I've been getting over an illness, and then I got hit with allergies today on top of it all. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm here. I'm present. We shall make the episode. Yes. Yeah, we should. And we should also make a quick announcement. You guys were expecting to hear a Too Goofy Part 2, and we definitely want to do that. But we, we saw another opportunity this week, which was to discuss kind of just like what's going on, what happened in this week, uh, this week in history. If you will, yeah, which is something that you and I have flirted around with doing. We've been since talking the very about beginning, it. Yeah, yeah, since we started forming the ideas for what the episodes were going to be like, and just looking at the events that had transpired back in history, we really felt that we couldn't pass up the opportunity. We thought there's so many interesting and notable things that happened this week. We try out this new format, and of course, this wouldn't be a permanent new format, but this would just be something that we would be doing from time to time. Uh, in addition to our usual format. And we would like to get your feedback. So please head over to our website, click on the listener feedback button, and go ahead and tell us what you thought of this week's episode and if you would like to hear more of these episodes uh, in the future. Of course. And for those who don't know the website's address, it is nerdonomy.com. Well, with so, that said... Um, let's start with today. Let's start with April 8th. Oh, I want you to talk about Mr. Butts more. Oh, yeah. So by the way, everything we said in the cold open is actually true. Minus the your ass is grass part. <laughs> yeah. Which we're not even sure we'll make it into the final episode. We'll see. 
very interesting guy. He was kind of a one-hit wonder as far as the board game community was concerned. But a huge success. Something like, what was it, 500 million Scrabble boards have been sold? Something to that effect? Right, that, but what I think was more fascinating is what the word Scrabble means. Cause yes, what, frantic groping. <laughs> which is like, that's not the word you want to think of when you're thinking about a family game involving letters and words. I think he was probably thinking more of frantic grabbing, and that you have to frantically grab the letters and then put them out in front of you. But the actual definition is frantic groping. But hey, you know. I wonder how many... I li- really wonder how many points the word Scrabble would get you in the game Scrabble. I don't know. I don't. Could you even accumulate that many letters to create the word Scrabble? I think so, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, because you can... I've created words that are longer in the game of Scrabble. I heard that if you get mow your butts, then you, um, you instantly win the game. It's a secret rule. That's a secret rule, yeah. right. There's actually people who competitively play Scrabble. Did you know that? I do know that. And yeah. They have timers just like chess players do. I guess it matters how long it takes for you to form a word. Hmm. Yeah. I so would it, not be able to play that game yeah, at all. So I guess <laughs> if, the shortest amount of time, I guess you're, you're smarter. So yeah. whatever. Being dyslexic, <laughs> I, I pretty much gave up on spelling in the seventh grade. Oh, and then found see, out I was dyslexic in high school. See, dyslexic Scrabble. That would be a fun game to play. I'd play that every time I play Scrabble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should basically, as long as it's the first and last letter of the word are the same, it's us have to figure out what the word is. That would be... Hey. Hey. Idea. Let's turn it into a drinking game while we're at it. Because that will make it doubly fun. Hmm. Check out the future blog post, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, this will be a very interesting experiment. <laughs> and I'm sure Sarah would be thrilled. So. <laughs> <laughs> thrilled or wanting to kill us. One of those two. So let's start with today, shall we? April 8th. Now, of course, this is the day that we are going live. You know, I want to make it feel like it's happening in the moment, Eric. Thank you for ruining that. Yes, of course, because our listeners are listening to us live. <laughs> Okay, sorry. Today, in the realm of magical radio land, today, the 8th, I've got, in 1820, the Venus de Milo was discovered on the Aegean island of Milos. Really? I think I'm saying that correct. Milos, yeah. Milos. Milos, thank you. And, of course, this is one of the most famous statues from Greek antiquity. It hasn't exactly been able to be pinpointed down to a precise time period, but pretty close to anywhere between about 130 and 100 BC. And it's, you know, thought to be a depiction of Aphrodite. Of course, the goddess of love and music and beauty. Right. Uh, of course, Venus was the Roman name for Aphrodite. Correct. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's an impressive statue. It's over six feet high. It's almost just, just I think it's just shy of seven feet. But the, the arms were lost. They have been lost to history. And that's why it has this extraordinarily iconic view as being this beautiful yet... Uh, Desecrated in a way or probably not desecrated but just damaged yeah when was you you said it was made again it was in the early early first it, millennium right around 120 to 100 bc okay. into there okay so or still, 130 to 100 yeah okay so we're talking first century bce Correct. and this is still when the roman religion was very dominant in the empire and through greece at this point as well right it would eventually evolve and and take on new light and take on new mythos that would better fit the roman empire and it's development okay cool you will find that it originally would have been painted as almost all greek statues were uh we have this very traditional idea of roman statuary right which was a simple plain marble and then you find that being emulated much later into the medieval and renaissance periods right with like the statue of david and things of that nature which were all heralding back to these to these greek and roman 
sculptors. But uh, in Greece, it would have been painted originally and most likely adorned with jewelry. It'd be interesting to see what it was like when it was originally constructed as opposed to its recovered form as it is today. In its more complete state. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, here's another one for you. On this day in 1913, the 17th Amendment was passed. Well, actually, that was not passed. It became law. Became law. Became law. And why is that significant? Well, folks, for those who don't remember the civics class we took in high school, the 17th Amendment is what established that the federal direct election of U.S. senators. I mean, think about that. That's only been around for literally 100 years, right? This Today is the 100th anniversary of this law taking effect. And even now, if a senator dies in office, that position is not appointed by whomever, whether it be the governor or by, uh, you know, the uh Not 100% the country. true. Not, because here's a good example. When Barack Obama was elected president, he was still in his first term as senator from Illinois. And the whole reason why Rob Blagojevich was uh, impeached from office is because he was selling his seat. He was selling his seat because he had his he had the appropriate authority to appoint a senator in his place. It actually goes by state to state. But only to finish out the rest of the term, right? Because then the election would have been held normally. Correct. So yes. they wouldn't have started a new term from that point, from the point at which they would have been... They would have been only to... And again, it depends on which state, because as a good example, Senator Ted Kennedy died. It was the rule of the Constitution of Massachusetts to elect a new senator by special election, not to have the governor appointed. So it really does go on a state-by-state basis. This is federalism at its finest. And if you think about it, prior to that, it was the custom of the states to have the governor appoint one or two of the state senators to the United States Senate. Right. You know, and that was kind of part of the importance of having a bicameral state legislature so that you had senators you could pull from for that role. Well, uh, another important event on this day, uh, April 8th, in 1975, uh, Frank Robinson manages the Cleveland Indians. Uh, He is the first African-American manager to do so. And you know what? Just one year before that, Hank Aaron broke Babe Ruth's career home run record. Hmm. So an uh, interesting day for baseball historians out there. Yeah, Babe Ruth held on to that record for 39 years. So, wow. Yeah, pretty cool. And um, I hear there are mixed reports that he actually rose from the grave as a zombie after the event and tried to, uh, tried to hunt him down. Yeah, and then he decided to be reincarnated as a candy bar. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Total nonsense. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm still I'm still reeling from our April Fool's episode. I'm still... Yeah, uh, I think I am, too. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, folks, um, not to go off on a side tangent here, but I'm going to go off on a side tangent here. We really hope you folks enjoyed the April Fool's episode. We had a ridiculous amount of fun recording it, and I know it was a little different than our norm. I know that we uh, we kind of deviated there, but hey, 30 episodes. We work hard. And uh, we wanted to have a little bit of fun. So we hope you folks enjoyed it. And who knows, maybe it'll become a, uh, a tradition. Maybe next year we'll have a whole new set of uh, ridiculous facts for you. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. I think it was really fun because we were recording both podcasts that day. And Sarah and David showed up about halfway through our recording. And the, sub- the stuff we were saying, they were trying so hard not to laugh. And in some cases, we had to stop and say it over again. And I had to stop and say it over again because I, when it got to the AAA part. The AAA part was really hard to get through on a single yeah, take. David was just like completely lost his <laughs> composure. And I think the Martha Washington one, 
<laughs> that one, that one, Sarah couldn't even hold it in. She was just like, and you, if you guys listen to Nerds on Film, she has a big old laugh. So yeah, well, Sarah couldn't hold it. In. You couldn't do it. I you couldn't, couldn't deliver it. it with a straight face. We had to do like four or five takes before we'd actually got through it. Yeah, but it, it was so much fun. Yeah. I think it was because what I was saying was just so utterly ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> um. And I have a quick appeal for those of you who listened. Uh, we had one of our listeners on Facebook tell us that she had figured it out by the second fact. And we were trying to make the first ones a little bit more believable. So I'm really I curious. Steam-powered television was too much to, to take yeah. in. Yeah. Uh, I shouldn't have, I should have done something. It's okay. It was funny, though. Yeah. And I think, like, uh, I think pedal maybe. Powered. Should have been a pedal-powered television. Yeah, pedal power would have been believable. <laughs> but uh, I want to hear your feedback. So, folks, let us know when and about which uh, factoid you, you started to get wise that, uh, that we were goofing, goofing around that day. All yeah. right, back to back, back to, the to April eighth. Let's end on one that's really big, because eight years ago today was the funeral of Pope John Paul II. Yeah, you know, and talk about big. We're talking about four million people in attendance. Four million people. That is a lot of communion wafers. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I remember I I sat at my television. I was glued to it, and I woke up at like five thirty in the morning to watch it because it was done at about noon, I believe in Roman time. It was unbelievable because for me, John Paul II was the only Pope I knew. You know, he was Pope for 26 years, the third longest reigning Pope. And I know we've gone Catholic on this a few times in this podcast. And we don't mean to make it sound like this is the history of Catholicism, but we can't ignore the significance of that of that institution. So um You said it was Roman time about twelve o'clock? About yeah. So that's that's X I I, right? Yes. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> He, Eric just did hand signals doing XIA. Almost like he was doing YMCA. Um, so, anyway. Sorry. Uh, so, there you have it. That's an interesting way to, to end that day. No, but I'm serious, though, because you said they did mass before that, right? It was a funeral mass. It was not just a memorial service. So, not only did they have to do communion, but they had to make and distribute four million communion wafers and wine. Yeah, they had, they had to have several hundred priests deliver communion and it was it took probably the the communion of itself probably took about an hour now i'm not to say all four million people took communion but, oh, okay. but but nevertheless that's still a substantial number of i wonder when they like wafers. cut it off it's like okay we'll start at the front of the group and we'll move back and we'll stop after right. about an hour well keep in mind though one of the things that um in the catholic religion one of your things that will get you a plenary indulgence is to make a, a pilgrimage to rome Right? right, so the Vatican is used to on regular basis doing large masses. True, particularly for different times of year, Christmas, Easter, and April eighth. And we're talking, John Paul only passed away a week after Easter. Right. So this was in a, already a very important season of the year, anyway. So maybe some people are vacationing, just kind of stuck around anyhow. And Absolutely. And then, and of course, you know, I mean, Italy is not that far away from the other mainland parts of europe so it's not too far for people to make the the trip to go and pay their last respects as well for me though i think i probably would have airdropped all of the communion wafers because they're flat you know they could have glided down to the people and all they had to do was open up their mouths stick out their tongue and boom done that would have definitely been unusual a bunch of priests with super soakers full of wine out there just kind of squirting the crowd okay now i don't want to open their mouth I, any Italian that's out there, I apologize for my horrendous <laughs> or, dialect. For all the Catholics out there, we apologize to. Yeah, because the super soaker blood of Christ doesn't seem to be uh, <laughs> doesn't seem to be really couth. So. Right. 
Sorry. So, uh, all right. Well, I've got one for you on the following day, April 9th. 9th. So April 9th, you know, I'm a huge space buff. Of course. Uh, April 9th in 1959 was the day that the United States formally elected and announced the very first American astronauts. Oh, wow. Yep. The Mercury seven. And these folks still are American heroes. I mean, they were greeted with such fanfare, such, uh, admiration that today their names kind of echo down to us from history as being these real pioneers and uh i want to read their names off because i feel like they each one of them deserves it uh alan b shepherd the very first american in space gus grissom john glenn of course john glenn was the uh, first american to orbit the planet uh scott carpenter wally shara gordon cooper and deke slayton so all of these men would continue on beyond Mercury and would contribute in many different ways to uh, to the program. Deke Slayton, even though he was included as part of the Seven, unfortunately never really flew. He never had an opportunity to because he was diagnosed with a with a condition that prevented him from from really doing so, uh, which is a shame because he was uh, an accomplished pilot. He was as it was defined the right stuff you know he was a person who could have very likely been the very first man in space but he continued on and he supported nasa in its administrative roles for years to come and he would be instrumental in making sure that everything in the command center would go smooth up until the later evolution of the american space program Alan Shepard, of course the very first man in space he was also diagnosed with a condition of the ear that prevented him from ever getting back in outer space. And he later had that issue corrected and was able to make it uh, on an Apollo seat and ended up on uh, on the surface of the moon when nobody thought he was ever going to be able to. That's awesome. One other I do want to mention. Okay. A couple others, sorry. Gus Grissom. Gus was really an amazing person. Not only was he you know, a veteran of the previous space programs, but he was also the very first American astronaut to die. Uh, along with his comrades Ed White and Roger Chaffee during the Apollo 1 incident. And for those of you who don't know, Apollo 1 was doing a ground-based stage test of their capsule that was going to be launched. Uh, they did it in a pure oxygen environment. There was some bad wiring that led to a spark, and because it was pure oxygen down on sea level, uh, it ignited, and uh, all three astronauts suffocated, unfortunately, you know, dying in the capsule. And, uh, you know, here was, again, one of America's most seasoned veterans and uh, lost his life in a really, really tragic way. Uh, John Glenn, of course, would go on and he would become the oldest man to make it back in the space when he would fly on the space shuttle years later, uh, which some people said was a publicity stunt just to get, you know, NASA some attention. But, of course, you know, and he just passed away last year, right? He did, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, still, though, an amazing person. Along with Carpenter and Shara and Cooper, they would all continue on and did uh, amazing things. And I want to recognize them because... Well, folks, I love me some space, yeah, as well, you all know. Let's backtrack for a second, because I've got another couple pieces of important American history here. Uh, in 1865, Robert E. Lee surrenders the Army of Northern Virginia and uh, effectively ending the Civil War. Very interesting. Very, very interesting, and you'll see why later. And also, in 1867, with only passing by one single vote, the Senate ratified the treaty with Russia to purchase Alaska. Oh. Interesting stuff happens on... April 9th. Also on April 9th, uh, of course, this was, and I can't believe it's been 11 years now, because it seemed like it just happened not very long ago. 
um, the funeral of Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother of the uh, current Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mum. And uh, she was how old? 100 and 101. 101 years old. Those British monarchs, they, they sure know how to make them, don't they? Yeah, no kidding. And, uh, I mean, that was a pretty huge event. You know, I remember it being televised here in America. I remember it being uh, obviously significant, highly significant for the, for the British monarchy. And what I find really interesting, though, is just three years later, Prince Charles decides he's going to marry Camilla Parker Bowles on the anniversary of her funeral. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very, very unusual. Um, well, so is Prince Charles. <laughs> you, but, you know, this is really significant because he's doing the same thing that his great uncle had to abdicate the throne for. He married a divorced woman. That's right. Yeah. And he himself, of course, was divorced. So I guess it's not a whole lot better. But very, very interesting to see the shift in the mindset of the British monarchy in only two generations. And also the first big deal because Camilla Parker Bowles is not the Princess of Wales. That was no. Diana. Because of her role, because she gave birth to Harry and William, even though she was not an HRH anymore, she was still considered the Princess of Wales. HRH, and, of course, meaning Her Royal her, Highness. Exactly. However, she was HRH, the, the Duchess of Cornwall, right? Right. Because I guess, weirdly enough, I don't know why that is, but the Queen can make whoever she wants a Duke. So maybe he was named the Duke of Cornwall. Charles, of course. Maybe Charles was named the Duke of Cornwall after he married Princess Diana. But I guess the Duchess title was never granted to to Diana in the first place. So. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, or maybe that one was more revocable. So is Bowles a uh, Duchess then? Camilla Parker Bowles is considered the Duchess of Cornwall. Well, yes. good. Give it to her then. Princess Diana had princess. What does she need Duchess for? She's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And uh, moving on to April 10th. The small one, starting off right at the beginning. Nestorius, in the year 428, became the Patriarch of Constantinople. Just to clarify, this is not Kevin Satorius, one of our nerds here at Nerdonomy, but Notorious. Nestorius. Nestorius, not Notorious. Not as in the Notorious B.I.G. Though, maybe, because if you listen to this, why is that important? Why is it important that he became the Patriarch of Constantinople? Well, first off, this is before the schism of the Western and Eastern churches. So, being Patriarch of Constantinople was just the equivalent of being an archbishop. That's all it means. What was substantial is he was excommunicated only about three years later because of the Nestorian heresy. And to make a long story short, the Nestorian church was founded out of this. So there you have it. Um, an early break with the communion from Rome hmm. early on in the, in the church's history before we have the major schism between the East and West. Gee, thanks, Kevin. Oh, wait, no, we established that wasn't him. Sorry. Oh, another big one. There was a charter in 1606 that established the colonial settlements of North America. Oh, that's kind of James important. James the First. <laughs> James the First. Which will eventually, of course, uh, break out on their own and become uh, the country we are today. Very interesting. Indeed. Indeed. Now, one that I had brought to your attention earlier that I think you could probably speak on quite a bit more than I can uh, occurred in 1925. Again, April 10th. Uh, and this is the, the Great Gatsby by Scott Fitzgerald was first published in New York City. F. Scott Fitzgerald. F. Scott Fitzgerald, excuse me. I thought he had enough Fs in his name, but I guess he needs an additional one. It was a very popular novel, right? It's one we're very familiar with in many English classes. And actually, if you guys are interested, there is a great group in the San Francisco Bay Area called the Art Deco Society of California. Actually, I don't think it's just of California. I think it's just the Art Deco Society. Their mission is to preserve the culture 
of 1920s America. And if you go to the website, which is artdecosociety.org, you can find a how-to to how-to they call Gatsby. And they give you clothing uh, guides for how to build your wardrobe. Women, it gives you a bunch of resources for building your own 1920s style dresses. Are there any recipes for making hooch in your bathtub? <laughs> no, even though this was during Prohibition. Damn. No, but they do have pictures of um, picnics they've held. They call Gatsby picnics. And everyone who goes to these things dresses in period to them. It's pretty cool. So I actually had a couple of Gatsbyers encounter myself once. Really? And uh, it was back when I was working at the museum. And they had come in their full 1920s outfit, and it was really interesting. And they said, yeah, uh, we belong to a wide variety of societies that go out there and do more or less like costumed reenactments and stuff like that. And, uh, Cosplay, if you will. Yeah, exactly. But on a more historical basis. Right. Not dressing up as, you know, anime cats or, you know, Pokemons or things of that nature. Right. Uh, and they came back later. Uh, they came back probably a year later, and they were dressed in full Victorian garb, uh, which was much more appropriate for visiting an Egyptian museum than their first original attire, which was a little bit too late. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's do some pop culture ones for a bit, shall we? Sure. So in, I'll do a couple of these just real quick. In 1953, Warner Brothers released the first 3D major motion picture, hmm. The House of Wax, which of course was remade about 50 years later. I saw that remake. It was absolutely awesome awful <laughs> it was atrocious yeah yeah oh god was it awful here's the other one on this day in 1970 paul mccartney announced he was leaving the beatles for oh, personal wow. and professional reasons too yeah so that was the great schism of the beatles was it not pretty much what, and that's they never, what broke them up yeah and they never rejoined i thought it was john lennon though that originally kind of oh no everyone just blames yoko ono that's the thing right right there you have that oh and of course here's a little factoid set up for later on this day in 1912, the RMS Titanic leaves port in Southampton, England. I hear it was a lovely day when they left. Not a cloud in the sky. Of course, nothing could possibly go wrong. Nope. It was considered unsinkable. <laughs> yeah. More on that later. So April 11th, this coming Wednesday, you can celebrate a couple things. One, in 1689, William III and Mary II are crowned as joint sovereigns of Britain. Hmm. Now, this is extraordinarily rare. Extraordinarily rare. Um, for a couple different reasons. So, for one, it's the only time in British history where there have been two co-reigning monarchs, where they are considered equal in rank. One is not consort to the other. Interesting to note, Mary was the one who was connected. Mary was the actual heir. William, who is now King of England, was not really the direct heir at all. So, that's also unusual. But here's the, the other reason. Um, this is part of what they call the Glorious Revolution. Hmm. Because just prior to this, Charles II was deposed by Parliament. He's the only king to be deposed by the British Parliament. Parliament. Wow. Yeah, and do you know why? No, I don't actually. Because he converted to Catholicism. Whoops. Yeah. Why is that important? Well, of course, you guys know about Henry, Henry VIII, right? Saying, hey, I'm making my own church now, right? There was such a strong anti-Catholic sentiment within these couple hundred years that Charles II reconverting to Catholicism because of his sympathies toward the Catholic faith was, was viewed as pretty much treason to what the identity of the country had become. Um, so his daughter, Mary, who was living with her husband, William, in, I believe, the Netherlands, if I'm not mistaken, someone correct me on that if I'm, if I'm wrong, they were invited by Parliament to become the heads of state. 
but not before signing the English Bill of Rights. So, <laughs> so here you go. Here you go. Yes, hello. Yes, we got this lovely crown for you. Yes, and oh, but but, but before we do the coronation, oh yes, please look at this little document we've got here. Yes, it's the uh, it's the the Bill of Rights. Yes, Did you just give that a, a once over and uh, sign it really quick. That'd be good. Yes. I do love it when we channel moments from history, when we seance and we bring those to, to life. Yeah, and I just love doing the British accent. It's cool. So in 1775 in Germany, the very last execution of a person blamed for witchcraft took place. Which I think true. is pretty interesting because I'm trying to think. So here in America, though, Salem... Those were in the late 1600s. Late 1600s. So right, right in around the same time when that was becoming now unpopular to blame people for witchcraft. Right. And this is actually 100 years after, right? This is right when America is getting ready to secede from the British monarchy. So, you know, right. there you go. Just to put things in perspective. Um, here's one. So, in 1868, the former shogun Tokugawa Yoshinobu surrenders Edo Castle to imperial forces, marking the end of the Tokugawa shogunate. What does that mean, <laughs> right? Well, you were telling me a little bit about this earlier, and yeah, I we have no idea. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, we, we've never really talked about Eastern history or Asian history on this, this podcast. And we should really, especially when we're talking about this, because the shogunate was a situation that was really essential to the survival of, of Japan as a country. Because they came to power in, I would say, the 17th century, about 1600, if I'm not mistaken. And they unified the country during feudal Japan from all these different warlords. And the, the shogunate was basically the seat of government. It was the military government of the country. Now, they regulated taxes. There was a, They established a caste system. Um, it was basically the shogun, the samurai, and then everyone else below that. The only person the shogun had to answer to was the emperor. Hmm. And if you think about this, what would this be a modern parallel to? Really, the shogun was, in a way, a combination dictator-slash-prime minister to the country. He was the head of government, but the emperor was considered the head of state. Because to be emperor, you had to have this mandate of heaven to be in charge. So he was like the, just very much like what we call the divine right of rule mm-hmm. in, in European history. The same kind of concept. It was preordained that this line of people was meant to be the ones who lead the country. So kind of a mini-emperor, in a sense, without the strong religious ties that the emperor had. Because the emperor was viewed you know, as a god among men, essentially. Um, as far as the shogun's concerned, yes. I would say he would, since he had all the political and military power, yes. I guess he can be considered like a commander-in-chief as well. A commander-in-chief and prime minister combined at the same time. But he would only answer to the emperor. Correct. That's the only person he could answer to. And people would not be actively praying to the shogun like they would... To Correct. the emperor. The emperor had this more of a religious cult and following around him. Right. A religious leader in that sense, whereas the shogun was more of the, like you said, commander-in-chief. Right. And the shogunate was hereditary, too. The, the reason why they call it the Tokugawa shogunate is because the Tokugawa family was the one who inherited that role. So it was, way, it was, it was very much an imperial role, you know? What I find fascinating, too, is that the shogunate also opened up to the West. You know, it was the first government to really start to allow Western influence. Like, for example, it allowed Christianity to influence its people. It also opened up, how about muskets, you know, as part of their warfare. Before that, it was pretty much just the katana and bows and arrows. So they definitely sowed the seeds for lots of Western thinking. 
and if you even look at the pictures of the shogunates, and I'll, I'll sit, end on this because I'm taking a lot of time just from this one. No, it's very interesting. Bit. Keep going. If you look at the second to last and the last shogunate, the shoguns, the 14th shogun wore a total, what we think of very stereotypically as the kind of the kabuki-like mm-hmm. clothing with a very big kimono and very big, very poofy. And the last shogun wore what looked very much like a French military outfit with the, you know, the extrapolated shoulders and the button-up tunic-like jacket and the sash and all that stuff. Fascinating to see how much they allowed the country to change. Well, that's extremely interesting, Brian. Uh, I know we, both of us, are not exactly uh, well-versed on the history of the East, and we're becoming more and more all the time because it is a topic that is being requested by our listeners, and we ourselves have a desire to really learn more. And so thank you. That was awesome. In fact, we could do an entire episode on the Shogunites. Uh, and we, we probably should at some point. So especially listeners, if you want to hear it, give us a shout out. Let us know. So let's jump forward a little bit and sure. actually head on over towards the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean in America. Because, of course, the Spanish-American War, uh, one of the many things that came from that was Puerto Rico becoming a United States territory, which was uh, officially ceded by Spain on April 11th in 1899. And, uh, in fact, there's a lot of talk these days about having a 51st state. And there's a really good chance, because Puerto Rico has already adopted United States currency. They are allowed to vote in, you know, elections of uh, U.S. officials. They are more or less acting as a state already. And there are many people in Puerto Rico and America alike who would love to see Puerto Rico become a state, not unlike Hawaii, you know, detached but nearby. Uh, I include myself as one of those individuals. So it would be interesting to see what will happen in the next few years. I wouldn't be surprised if in 10, maybe 20 years, uh, we'll have to add another star to our flag. The first time that'll have happened since uh, Hawaii was added. Hawaii and Alaska. And Alaska, yeah. yeah. The, the trouble, though, is that now states are admitted two by two. So Alaska and Hawaii were both admitted to the Union at the same time. And it's because they don't want odd numbers on the Stars and Stripes. So there would have to be another territory that would also join the Union at the same time. I think that's silly. I mean, come on. Let's let's have the odd number. Who cares? We could amend it. We could change it. We could fit another star in there without it causing too many problems. Just make all the stars a little bit smaller. I think that's silly. Join with me, listeners. Bring Puerto Rico into the United States officially. Or just make Guam a state, too. One of those... That would work. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun. There you go. So just get do them two at the same time. Yeah. What I also found very interesting about this day is that, again, the 11th, 1905, Albert Einstein revealed his theory of relativity. Mm-hmm. You know, Einstein, who started his, his illustrious career as a patent clerk, who had come up with some of his most famous theorems and ideas serving within that capacity now announces to the world this relatively unknown person uh, that he's got a way of more or less explaining gravity and how gravity works in relations to everything around it and movement and things of these natures, things that uh, since really Newton uh, had not really been addressed properly anyhow. And of course, he would be catapulted into the scientific world as this absolutely brilliant genius who would continue to influence people for for years to come i mean einstein we all know the name is is synonymous with genius and intelligence interesting that yeah, just that unsurprising day you know 11 on april 11th well here's a couple ones for you in 1970 
the Apollo 13 is launched, since we were talking about the space program earlier. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that, because Apollo 13, in the public's eyes, is more or less forgotten. But for those who are paying attention, uh, there was a lot of skepticism as to whether or not it would succeed. And it wasn't based on the fact that you know, the crew was in question, or NASA was in question, or even the hardware, which did ultimately end up being the problem. Uh, which we'll get to. Which we'll get to. But it ends up really being the uh, the superstition surrounding the number 13. There were letters being written to NASA, people begging them, skip the number. Don't give it to the crew. It'll be a horrible disaster. And by pure co- coincidence, they scheduled this to coincide with with a Friday the 13th. Of course, there's no way around this now, right? I mean, they can't just push it back because of this. They're not going to wait a whole, you know, few more weeks or whatever it is uh, to get around the fact that the mission will take place on a Friday the 13th. But uh, we'll see just what happens on Friday the 13th coming up in a few minutes. Yes, we will. Uh, As it turns out, um, there are two phobias we're talking about here. So one is Triskaidekaphobia, which is just a fear of the number 13. Then there's Friga Triskaidekaphobia. (laughs) It's a mouthful, uh, which is the fear of Friday, Friday the 13th. Right. So some people find Friday the 13th a lucky day, too. Let's just put that out there. I always have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, here's a big one, too. 1976, Apple. The Apple One released. Wow. Only 10 days after the company is founded, because the company was founded April 1st, 1976. Well, it took about 10 days to build the first one, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So there you go. The revolution of the personal computer uh, really took shape as it was manufactured in a way where people could already buy it and start using it. Because prior to that, the computing was still around. Personal computers were being made, but it was more of a hobby. You right. had to go and you had to build one yourself. Right. right. And that was Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak and Ronald Wayne, the third founder most people don't remember about. That was their original intent, was to make a easy-to-build home computer. But then they said that they're... they're person who they wanted to be the supplier said that they would only do it if they could have it pre-assembled. Right. Which brought to birth this whole new revolution in personal computing. Right. Which, of course, let's just say it, because we're using iPads right now, and we're we're editing this on a MacBook Pro, so it's like... Yeah. (laughs) We love Apple, so... Not only that, but I'd say, whether you're an Apple fan or not, what they did is very inspirational, because here are a couple of guys working out of a garage... To go ahead and create now one of the most successful and wealthy companies in the world. The most valuable tech company in the world. Yeah, and certainly one of the most inspirational. And so I, as a podcaster, look at that and say, hey, well, what are we doing? We're pretty much doing the same thing, right? You know, Yeah, it gives us hope. It gives us inspiration. Yeah, NerdCave to- 1.0 was a garage. <laughs> yeah. So NerdCave yeah. 2.0, an external garage. External. See? Progress. We're evolving. <laughs> <laughs> So um, here's another one, too. Um, in 1979, the Ugandan dictator Idi Amin was deposed. Why is that important? Well, if you remember a movie from a few years ago called The Last King of Scotland, in which Forrest Whitaker won the Academy Award. Hard not to remember if you ever saw it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, intense movie. Well, this is the Idi Amin that we're referring to. It's that same dictator. So just something to, to think upon. Well, let's jump forward to April 12th. Yes. April 11th was a huge day. I mean, I think most of our factoids came from that. But... April 12th also had some pretty significant events. Uh, The first that stands out is in 1606. Again, a little nod to our British listeners. The Union flag was adopted. 
The Union Jack. Interesting, because 1606, we talked about a couple moments ago, for a couple days earlier, about James I establishing the American colonies, right? Well, James I was Scottish. So what's a Scot doing being the King of England? Well, James Stuart, his mother was the sister of Henry VIII. So he was actually cousin to Queen Elizabeth I. Oh. And also rightful heir to the throne of Scotland, because he was the king. So by him inheriting the, the crown of England, as well as being the sitting crown of Scotland, both countries on the island of Great Britain became one, which is why the United Kingdom of Great Britain became formed. And that's actually a common misnomer. Great Britain is not synonymous with England. Great Britain is the landmass that mm. is both Scotland and England right. at the same time. Of course, the British Isles, too, but the British Isles is considered Ireland, Wales, Cornwall, all those. So, Well, we talked a little bit about Albert Einstein mm-hmm. and his theory of relativity being released on the 11th of April, while on the 12th of April, kind of the opposite happened, unfortunately. Uh, and then, of course, was with Galileo Galilei, uh, who in 1633 began the his trial by the formal inquest of the Inquisition, mm. uh, which is like we're talking about almost the exact polar opposite, right? So here is Einstein now bringing his theories to the world, a, a world that is now accepting of them and wanting them to be shouted out on the highest mountain, whereas with Galileo and his controversial observing of planetary motion, and in particular the moons surrounding Jupiter, all of this would eventually get uh, more or less... Yeah, he was know, one sw- to really push forward heliocentricity. Right. Yeah. And all of this, of course, would lead to it all kind of getting swept underneath the carpet and tried to being forgotten about uh, and forcing Galileo into house arrest for the remainder of his life. Yeah, to be fair, though, he did that happened because his best friend was the Pope. Had he not had that coincidental relationship, he would have been executed. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's really sad, too, because he was not unreligious, too. He was a very... He was a devout believer. Devout believer. And then, in fact, he defended his statements as being biblically connected. Yeah. So it was just very much new thinking being rejected. He saw them as proof of God, yeah. not not disproof of God. Right. All right. Well, again, April 12th, this time 1861, we talked about the uh, surrender of Lee's forces. Well, how about the very beginning of the American Civil War? Because on that day, the Confederate forces fired on Fort Sumter, and that was the formal declaration of war between northern and southern forces. They all knew it was going to happen. It was all leading up to this, right? But who would fire the first shot and when it would take place was still unknown. It could happen at any time. And with this, exploded into history, the, yeah, the American Civil War. That's crazy. So it happened, the war was almost four years to the day. Almost. That's insane. Yeah, pretty incredible. Uh, here's what's even more interesting. I, we actually skipped one, um, 1204. Actually, we, we totally overlooked it, but that's the day that the Crusaders of the Fourth Crusade destroyed Constantinople. Oh, I didn't overlook that. Oh, you didn't? No, I'm not a big fan of the Fourth Crusade. Oh, right, because it yeah. was uh, not thir- as good as the, as the first as we, as we yeah, talked about. Yeah, exactly. All the sequels were awful. Yeah, we talked about that. Just was, like Indiana Jones movies. Right. The fourth <laughs> one is never a, a, a solid bet. Right. Yeah, right. Um, quick little one. 1937, uh, Sir Frank Whittle, Grand Test, the first jet engine for powering an aircraft, so sowing the seeds of um, faster and more efficient air travel. Of course. And let's not forget 1945, when uh, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt died in office, one of the few presidents to to do that. And then, of course, seeing Vice President Harry Truman 
sworn in as our 33rd president. Yeah, only, only three months after his being uh, sworn into office for his fourth term. Yeah. So there you go. What I find ironic, however, is 10 years later to the day, the polio vaccine uh, that was developed by Dr. Jonas Salk is now declared safe and effective for mass distribution. Hmm. And while, of course, polio did not lead to the death of Roosevelt, it did certainly, I, I would think, play a part just because he was crippled as a result of being afflicted with a disease in childhood. Uh, and so, you know, as we, we now know, he had very limited movement. Of course, if you actually see the uh, the public images of the time, right? So the video reels that were being shown in movie houses and, and what survives of it today, or not video, but film reels, he's always shown to be either sitting and driving in a car or he is standing in a single spot, not really moving around. And that's because he had the aid of leg braces and a cane to help him walk, but it found it extremely painful and spent most of his time in a wheelchair. And he still needed help from his sons. He always had someone with him to pull his arm along as well. Exactly. But the public, many of them were unaware that he was even afflicted with any kind of uh, hardships just because there was this, need in the mind of the the press to display a strong leader well i wouldn't say that 100 percent. i think the people knew he had polio but i just don't think they knew how far along it had progressed well yeah i don't think they knew to the severity of it because they wanted to create this illusion of strength not to suggest that people who have a disability are not able to be strong we we now accept that and see that as a as a shining pillar of strength whenever we you know we, we display that in our community today but back in the 1930s and 40s it was a very different story yes indeed well speaking of presidents let's talk about bill clinton for a second oh slick willy oh very interesting choice of words <laughs> um in 1999, on April 12th, President Bill Clinton is cited for contempt of court in giving intentionally false statements in a sexual harassment civil lawsuit. Uh, this, of course, was the offense for which he was impeached. Not removed from office, of course, but just the impeachment trial. Because impeachment just says, we have cause to remove you from office. Not saying you actually are removed from office. Right. And then the Senate acquitted him, which was pointless. Yes. <laughs> but politically, let's talk about this for a second. The House was Republican. The Senate, who acquitted him, was Democratic. Right. Of course, Bill Clinton was a Democrat. So it's not that it was a total political nightmare. It was a show. And I think that both sides of the aisle knew exactly what was going to happen. He was not going to be removed from office. But the Republican Party wanted to make a statement. And the Democratic Party made a statement back. Was it worth it? Probably not. I would have liked to see that taxpayer money go somewhere else. But that's just my personal opinion. And besides that, we had other important things to be worrying about. You know, at the time. Yeah. And you know what? I remember as a young man thinking, who cares? Yeah. Yeah, and I still do. Anyway. Yeah. I think it was also, too, the the moral barometer of the country, because it was the first time we had finally, like, confirmed that the president had had an affair, and that he lied, but he lied about it. Yeah, but look at our perception of Jack Kennedy. You know, we look at JFK. Yeah. We, we herald him. We name high schools after him. We do all of this stuff. Well after his death and well after knowing that he was up to all sorts of no good with a lot of different women for very, very early in his political career. I'm talking when he was, you know, still Senator Kennedy. And so I think it's, again, just kind of silly. Yeah. Anyway, this is not Nerds on Politics. This is Nerds on History. So let's uh, let's get moving on to the 13th. Dun, dun, dun. Excuse me. (laughs) Let's start with... uh, 
1742, George Frederick Handel's oratorio, Messiah, makes its world premiere in Dublin, Ireland. Do you know what Messiah is? I do not. It is a, well, an oratorio is kind of like an opera. It's not quite, because it's more um, ensemble-based. There's not really any solos, necessarily. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, I guarantee if I were to sing a couple notes from it, you know exactly what I was talking about. Well, Brian, being that you are in theater and have an excellent singing voice, why don't you do it? There you go. Alleluia, 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 alleluia. Yeah, still not ringing a bell. Really? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I did vocal warm-ups for that. <laughs> we had to pause for 45 minutes while he... Made sure his voice was properly Yeah, and actually, that wasn't all that great, so... I think it's fantastic. You're grinning at me. I can't tell if you're being serious or not. That's something that you will one day have to find out on your own. Wow. Um, big deal, because George the Second, I believe... It might have been George the Third, One of the Georges. <laughs> There's so many of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was in attendance at the opening of this, and he was so moved by the oratorio that he stood up. And I wouldn't say this is the basis for the standing ovation, but to have the king stand was very unusual um, to give praise of a performance. Yeah. This might just be a legend, but nevertheless, it speaks to the significance of the song, especially because when we think of any sort of choir, right, in church, what's the first song we think of them singing? Hallelujah. Exactly. Hallelujah. Right. Or that moment of relief or that moment of joy, right? Which our listeners just experienced by me not continuing to sing. So on this day in 1796, a ship by the name of America had sailed and finally arrived in the United States, sailing from India. And on it was the very first elephant ever to arrive in the United States. Hmm. Yeah. This elephant would later take the name of Old Bet. And it's really interesting because we have all these records from the ship that have more or less gone unseen for about 100 years until recently they've been uncovered. And they talk about all these food that they brought on for the elephant. And then underneath, there's a date stating, elephant has arrived. Uh, And we have some diaries that have survived from the time of the person who had bought the elephant for $450, saying that when he got to New York, he'd be able to sell the elephant for at least 5000 well, he did end up selling it, but he sold it for 10000 And Old Bet would be then transported south for the winter, where she would eventually be bought by Bailey of Barnum & Bailey's Circus. No kidding. Mm-hmm. The very first elephant to be included in a circus here in the United States. And she would continue to travel with the circus for a few years. She was very young. Um, they estimate her age at about 20 at the time of her death. Uh, and there's all these different ideas about how she died. Some people suggest that it happened as late as 1816. Other people are suggesting that it happened much earlier than that. Um, one story tells that she was actually killed in a kind of uprising, if you will. A bunch of people took exception to the elephant, thinking that the elephant was somehow scamming them out of their money. Uh, and there's a report that the elephant was shot through the eye and died. Another one says that she had gotten sick and there was a merciful killing of the elephant later. No matter what the reason was, Bailey would eventually erect a, uh, a monument to her uh, in her honor. But uh, yeah, very first elephant in America arrived. That's awesome. Of course, I'm excluding mammoths, both Colombian and woolly, uh, <laughs> which were here a lot earlier than that, but right. weren't around during the United States. Right, yeah. of course. 
And to think how amazing, like to be a child, to see that elephant for the first time. Pretty overwhelming. Yeah, yeah absolutely. In 1829, on this day, the Roman Catholic Relief Act was enacted in the United Kingdom. And that was the act that gave Roman Catholics the right to both hold office and to vote. Crazy to think that if you were Roman Catholic up until that point, you didn't have any political voice just because of your religious beliefs. But again, talking about the anti-Catholic sentiment of the country right. with the deposing of Charles II, it's not that surprising, I guess. I do find interesting that the Metropolitan Museum of Art was founded in 1870 on yeah. this day. I've always wanted to go to the Met, and one day I hope to accomplish that goal. And in 1902, James C. Penny opened his very first store in Kemmerer, Wyoming. Which we now know, of course, is J.C. Penney's. J.C. Penney's. How about this? In 1943, the Jefferson Memorial was dedicated in Washington, D.C. on the 200th anniversary of Thomas Jefferson's birthday. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Which means, hey, on this day, Thomas Jefferson was born. Look at that. Yay. Second president of the United States. circle. Yeah. In 1970, April 13th, if you were listening earlier and you're taking notes, this was the day that an oxygen tank on board the Apollo 13 command module uh, exploded unexpectedly and completely changed the objective of this mission, which was originally to land on the moon and now to save the lives of three of America's astronauts. And, of course, it is one of the most well-told stories in recent history. But do you know that the very famous quote made famous by Tom Hanks in the movie Apollo 13 is a misquote? Really? Yeah. The quote, as it is told in the movie, is, Houston, we have a problem. The actual words said by Jim Lovell were, Houston, we've had a problem. So it's just different conjugation of the, of the verb. And initially, he doesn't even say, just, we've had a problem. We've had a problem. And then, you know, ground command is like, oh, my God, what the hell is he talking about? Houston says, okay, well, what, what's going on? He says, Houston, we've had a problem. And it's pretty scary if you listen to the original recordings. I mean, Tom Hanks does a good job of it in the movies, but when you listen to Jim Lovell's voice in the original recordings, I mean, you're millions of miles away from Earth. Uh, there's no way to just turn around and come back. Right. Not really, anyway. They kind of toyed with the idea, but the crew would not have survived. So you're going to go to the moon, whether you can breathe or not, and you're going to hope that you don't stay up there as a corpse. And that's what was going through these people's minds as they were up there. And of course, eventually, Apollo 13 would return safely to the Earth through a series of on-the-fly, amazing ingenuities that had to be come up with both on the ground and also up in space. They ran into all sorts of problems, including illness, including uh, a filter that wasn't designed to keep them alive that had to be redesigned using literally, uh, you know, a box, some duct tape, a sock. That's what they created to give them breathable oxygen because somebody designed the filter for the oxygen with a uh, round hole uh, in the LEM, which is what they used to originally land on the moon instead now it became a lifeboat for them and in the command module the uh the filters were square wow so they literally had to fit a, a square peg into a, a round, round hole, hole. <laughs> and they did it using duct tape and a sock and a few other you know con- uh, items that were just laying around and it really is a, a pretty incredible story so the movie actually does it justice it does a good job if you haven't seen it if you're one of those millions of people out there who never saw the movie go out there and see it because it's pretty good Let's end on some pop culture, shall we? Sure. Cool. In 1964, this was a big day because Sidney Poitier 
became the first African-American male to win Best Actor. And he did it for his role in the film Lilies of the Field. Big surprise, a movie buff like you would know that. Well, well, (laughs) I do host a podcast on it. Nerds Uh, on film. (laughs) Also, in 1997, Tiger Woods becomes the youngest golfer to win the Masters. Oh. Yeah. That's right. I remember that. It's interesting how a lot of our points in history are the beginning or the middle of a story, right? So on the 14th, we actually see a couple of those stories wrap up. Um, Let's start with the first one. Big one is, I think goes as far back as AD 70, first century. And what what happened in the AD 70? Well, the siege of Jerusalem by General Titus, who would eventually become the Emperor Titus. Big deal because... During this siege, it would be when Herod's temple was destroyed. And the only thing we have left of it now is the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, as we call it today. Almost a day of mourning for, for anybody of the Jewish faith when you think about it, because you have this one place where they believe God was present, where you can go to practice and cherish God. And that was the last temple. Everything else has only been a synagogue, right? They don't believe in making that temple anymore because it's a disrespect to what was there before. It's kind of sad, actually. But um, moving forward, let's talk about something a little more cheerful. How about the departure in 1846 of the Donner Party? Oh, that's much more cheerful. Yeah, it was a beautiful spring day in Springfield, Illinois. And uh, of course, it was a nice day for them to leave, but it didn't really turn out to be too well of an adventure for them because after a year of, you know, death and disease and cannibalism, things just... um, didn't too well do too well for their, uh, for those folks who, uh, who who survived and finally made it to California. Well, let's um, you know, looking at all these facts, the fourteenth actually is a very depressing day. It except, is, except for a couple of facts. Let's go through the one one real quick. In seventeen seventy five, the first abolition society was formed um, in Philadelphia called the Society for Relief of Free Negroes Unlawfully Held in Bondage. And you know who was founded by? I do not. Benjamin Franklin. Oh, and a man, a man named Benjamin Rush. Hmm. So there you go. Even before the country was officially formed, there were people who were trying to abolish slavery. Look at that. That is a good one. And speaking of slavery, on April 14th is also the day that Abraham Lincoln was shot in the Ford Theater. Again, now we've kind of gone on as a roller coaster, going up and down in terms of enthusiasm and excitement here. C'est la vie. C'est la vie. <laughs> what else should we go? Oh, also, of course, the first Pony Express rider made it to California in uh, 1849. So I've got one high note for us. Okay. Um, what, the Pony Express is in the high note? It's in a high note. It's just, you know, it doesn't really tickle my fancy. So April 14th, 1981, is the day that the Space Shuttle Columbia, the very first official shuttle mission, so this is the first time that the Space Shuttle had been essentially dry-runned, right, uh, returned to Earth and returned very successfully and would lead a whole new window of opportunity now for the american space program a revival of it you know we had gone to the moon and then there were huge cutbacks for nasa they had put up skylab our very first space station but it was a short-term project it wasn't meant to be a long-term project like mirror and the international space station would eventually end up being and so the shuttle which had been talked about for quite some time was now finally ready to go and it's pretty incredible the the crew consisted of veteran astronaut john young and a rookie astronaut, Robert Crippen. And these two were the very first one to ever fly, quote-unquote, fly 
the space shuttle. I say quote unquote because any description of it actually returning and flying into the atmosphere really isn't a plane by any sense. It's actually really a glider. It's meant to just kind of glide back hmm. down to Earth. Um, many people have described it as flying a brick. Uh, <laughs> that's the way it kind of operates and, and controls. Uh, but it would lead to a whole new way of us exploring space like we never knew before. Uh, and it's so funny because John Young, who was one of the last people to step foot on the moon, actually found out that the shuttle was going to uh, to actually come into existence while he was on the surface of the moon. They let right. him know that the, the Senate had passed the resolution and that the shuttle would be built. And he would then later you know, reflect on that, that, uh, yeah, I was on the moon when I found out. Right, that's crazy. Pretty cool. And it's also interesting to think that we're making the first space vessel that's intended for reuse right correct you know and before that the only part that was even reusable if you want to consider it was the very tip of this massive rocket that you were sitting upon well yeah the re-entry part of the command module was in a sense reusable in the sense that it would be reused in a museum later one day right but but yeah. these were things that could actually go into space on multiple missions right the, 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 the space shuttle yes absolutely yes. absolutely that's what they were intended to be they were a space plane in that sense uh, of course they had to get a rocket to get it up there but it could then glide back down unharmed and be reused yeah well Which, it had its own thrusters right well it had its own maneuvering thrusters and it had its own engine for the main liftoff but it relied on the primary fuel tank to fuel that engine once that was gone Which it are just the big used capsules of fuel that it's attached to when it launches right? the big one right in the center yeah that's the fuel the other one on the side those are just solid rocket boosters okay uh once those go on there's no way to turn those off those just ignite yeah uh with solid rocket fuel which is crazy uh, and, you know, some people did s- kind of um, question the, the shuttle. Was it going to be safe? Was it going to be safe to continually u- reuse the spacecraft? And how much maintenance would it need? And how much time would it need to be recycled before they replaced equipment on board? And they flew them just up until recently, you know, just up until a few years ago when they rep- retired the space shuttles, the remaining ones. Of course, right. there were two disasters that ended up in the loss of two crews. Right. But considering the amount of scientific research that was done with those shuttles and the time that they spent and all the crews that they brought back to earth. It's actually amazing statistically uh, that those two instances were the only ones that occurred. And I think that everyone who was on board those and their families and NASA today agree that their deaths were in no way needless, that they had a purpose, that they were expanding Everything that we know about our universe and making it possible, if it wasn't for the space shuttle, we would have never gotten things like the Hubble Space Telescope up there. Right. We would have never been able to build the International Space Station. Right. These folks, again, are heroes. Uh, and everyone who listens to the show who's heard at least a few episodes know that I'm a big uh, you know, space enthusiast. But I really feel like um, that crew of STS-1... Uh, who are both still alive today and both contribute uh, to their country's pursuit of science and knowledge and, and space exploration uh, deserve a hell of a lot of credit because this is a big ship. This is something that was being flown by just two people and was totally experimental in the sense that, yes, they had built the Enterprise, right, which was the one that preceded all of this that was their their test one, and they did high-altitude flights and tests and landed it before, but they'd never done everything all at once, and they had never done this many new, untested procedures and equipment on a single mission before. So it was very much uh, an unknown 
an area of the unknown. Very much. Not since, you know, those Mercury astronauts literally strapped their asses to a great big bomb, which right. they didn't know if it was going to explode or not, had a crew taken this many risks before. And uh, my hat off to them. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's do some more pop culture for a second. Okay. And then we'll, we'll do our big finish. Oh, yes. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. In 1969, at the Academy Awards, uh, there was a tie for Best Actress between Katherine Hepburn and Barbara Streisand. Now, as we talked about in our live Oscar podcast a couple months ago, ties are extremely rare. There's only been about four ties in the history of the Academy Awards, and three of the four have been about acting. Right. So, um, as of this year, the first time in, like, 40 years, uh, or at least what it feels like 40 years. No, four, almost 50 years, yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, the, they had originally brought out, instead of the oscars instead of the statues uh, gauntlets in which for both of them to fight to the death to receive their award but they had declined and instead decided to resolve things peacefully no they just got both got oscars damn it that would have been so much more interesting yeah it's interesting because when we did it this year they got everyone got an award and they also both got their acceptance speeches too yeah which is cool so it's very very unusual but in a good way Well, sir, why don't we wrap this up, and why don't we end this on a big bang, or or sink? More like a big thump. Yeah. What was that? (laughs) Oh, it's fine. It's fine. We just we may have scooted. We may have just run into an 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 iceberg. But a what? It only it only got the edge. Oh, of the ship. Of course. Is is this too soon for us to be making a joke about? No, it's not too soon because. Uh, this year, April 14th, will be the 101st anniversary of the Titanic's unfortunate demise. If only we were doing this podcast one year earlier, we would have had an episode devoted to the 100th anniversary. We of failed, the Brian. Yeah, we did. We, we no, failed our listeners before we even existed. We can make it up to people because we will eventually do an entire episode on the Titanic. We I will. Think. We'll give it its proper. Uh, we have to. Time. We have to. Absolutely. Because thousands of people died. 1,517 to be exact. That many? I thought, actually, I thought it was more. No? No. So a lot. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of that was due to bad execution of planning. Yeah. The, the ship did not have enough boats to sustain everybody on board, which was sad because literally they locked some of the shipgoers in cages and just let them drown with the ship. Yeah. The horrible, despicable behavior. Um, some people... Because they were letting women and children off first, some people stole women's clothing and dressed in drag to make sure they got off the boat. Um, and according to James Cameron, when he made that film, that famous moment of the um, the musicians playing as the ship was was going down uh, to soothe the that was actually true. It was yeah, that did actually happen. Yeah. Um, and then I thought I love that moment in that movie where they they try to play like wedding music and yeah. everyone's still like running around and screaming, and then they finally just decide to play what they're really feeling and in a way that's more soothing than the the wedding music was whether that's historically accurate that part not sure but it's a well-crafted moment but it is true that they continue to play music for as long as they could to try to to calm the passengers and that takes guts yeah no kidding especially because it was freezing cold outside as well and you know they were 
terrified for their lives and who knew if they would make it out alive right. and it was so sad because all of this could have been prevented if there had been a little bit more planning if there had been a little bit more forethought into yes it is sinkable and it's so ridiculous because there was so much conversation about it being unsinkable right being the largest luxury liner in the world it's a sad piece of irony is what it is it is but it's also you know if somebody kept reminding me the fact that it wasn't going to sink Eventually, in my mind, as a lead designer or a person involved in the project, I'd be like, you know what? What if it did? And then make sure 100% absolutely that there would be no chance of human lives being lost or very little chance of human lives being lost by being prepared as prepared as possible. Well, to be fair, they could have died by crashing straight into the iceberg, but they maneuvered in enough time with a very short amount of time and only scraped the edge of it. Yeah, and had they had had just a couple more minutes, they could have survived that that potential disaster. Right, and we will do a whole episode on it. I think it definitely deserves it, and talk about the lives of some of the people who were on board, and talk about you know the the ingenuity behind the design of the Titanic. It was a really incredible and revolutionary design, and a lot of its modern or a lot of its design would be eventually incorporated into you know modern cruise liners and other large boats of its type. You know, years later, uh, but they would just do it in a better way yeah and it's i think now one of the reasons why when you go on a cruise the first thing you do is you learn you do the escape drill so yeah. that they don't have a repeat of what happened well folks this has been a fun episode yeah it has been a fun episode um tell us what you think about this week in history that we've done as usual don't take our word for it we referenced a lot of our uh, events this week from wikipedia and you can also, what was the app you used? Uh, Today in History is the app that I use primarily, and it pulls a lot of sources from online and from Wikipedia and what have you. Uh, and, this was, uh, and this is available in the Apple App Store, and then you can also, I'm sure, find it probably in the Android App Store. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm sure there's many other apps, apps that are like that. Well, sir, this has been a really fun and unique episode. I like the format a lot. I think it's very interesting. But ultimately, listeners, we want to give you the option to decide if you like it or not, because we want to give you what you want to hear. So, uh, like I said, this would not be a replacing format. This would just be something that we do supplemental, maybe once a month or maybe you know, once every couple of months. Once we find a week that is uh, just really saturated in some gems like we had uh, today. Uh, so give us your thoughts and give us your ideas. And if you can think of a week coming up in the year that uh, is full and saturated with interesting information, let us know. Maybe we'll Please. do this again. And, you know, what I find really interesting about this episode is originally it was just kind of this throwaway idea. But look how many significant events took place within one week. Yeah, and how much we had to talk about. And how many future episode ideas that we can dedicate an entire episode to came into existence as well. Yeah, and I think that's another additional piece of feedback. If there's any specific topic that you really thought was amazing, let us know. We will do an episode. We'll research it and discuss it oh i can't wait to hear our shogun episode it's gonna be, That's amazing. Gonna be really cool and don't forget to uh, check out our website nerdonomy.com as we stated you have the listener feedback button on there but you also have all the different ways to listen to our podcast and of course our sister podcast nerds on film uh, feel free to drop us a line on twitter just go ahead and follow us you can uh, follow myself at the brickmont or you brian can, you can follow me at brian moriarty Well, Mr. Brian Moriarty, it's been another wonderful episode, and uh, I'll see you next week. Talk to you next week. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Bye.